You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Man, I want to go somewhere different this morning um, that I've never went on, on a Sunday, on Easter Sunday before. I don't ever know what to say. Some people get offended. When I say Easter, you know what I mean, Resurrection Sunday. Um, I want to talk about a topic of how Jesus stepped into the trauma of Thomas. Um, and and I, I want to talk about trauma a little bit, which is a super heavy subject for today, but you're stuck here now, <laughs> and so you're not getting out. Um, I, I want to look at it from a different lens. How many of you know that we've read so many of these? How many of you know that like, you can read these stories, and you need to go back constantly and visit them? Because the more you learn about Christ, every time you open these scriptures, something new pops out. I tell people, it's kind of like, um, like forensic science. It's come so far over the years. Now they can go back and visit old cases with new technology and find things. You, the, the more revelation you have of the Lord, you can go back and visit things that, and get complete new revelations of who God is. And so I want to talk this morning about um, a few different things, but primarily, I think we're going to land on Jesus stepping into the middle of your trauma. In a room this many people, there's a lot of people that have been through traumatic experiences. Um, we, hear, we hear them often. We hear them when we pray with people. I, I think you'd be surprised, maybe in the same row as you, some of the things that have happened to people. You, you'd be amazed. And... We all deal with these traumatic events in our life that we have to work through. And let me tell you something that I've learned is not true. Time does not heal. Time plus Jesus plus putting in the work will heal. Time just makes the pain far enough behind you that you don't feel it so much anymore. Until someone triggers you and you find out time never healed anything. You guys are going to make me work hard this morning. <laughs> Jesus can heal it. But it's a partnership. I wish I could just, I wish I could lay hands on everybody that's had trauma and pain in their life and just do an impartation of complete healing, and it was gone. That'd be amazing, right? But there's a partnership. When Paul said that we are all being saved daily, I want you to understand that word saved, for many of us, we think, we're just giving our life to the Lord daily again. That's not at all what that means. That word saved isn't just converting from a lifestyle of sin to a lifestyle of righteousness. That word saved means, sozo is the word. It means to be healed, set free. It means being, it's the fullness of salvation. And so the Bible talks about three different types of salvation. It says that you were saved, you are saved, and you're being saved. And you, excuse me, you were saved, you are saved, and you're being saved, which means that there was a general ex expression of salvation that you had when you gave your life to the Lord. Most people quit there. I'm going to heaven. But why live in hell until you die? People live in hell. It's so good to have my mom and dad back. For those of you that don't know, uh, it just caught me off guard. Um, so... There's so many new people here. Um, my mom and dad, 
they pastored this church a long time before I did, and they're back from being out of town. So, and my my son's right in the middle of a Nana Pawpaw sandwich. (laughs) I'm getting sidetracked. I thought about the meal today that what she's making for me for lunch, and I completely just went. She's making like chicken and dumplings for lunch, and I'm just like Jesus. Oh, that is being saved, (laughs) right there. That is that is. Uh, but, but there's this process, and I want to stay on point because there is this process that often we think that just, I think, let's just put it away and let time get by. And that's especially what I find with a lot of guys. They're notorious for this. Let's just cram it down and let's just, you know, guys are professional crammers. Cram, 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 cram. I mean, most of you guys emotionally look like a four-year-old little girl's closet. It is crammed in there. And, like, as soon as someone just opens that door and says something, you go, and it just, everything comes out of you. Your stares say it all. Um, All of your wives laughing says even more. And so we have these these things in our life that that are moments that I don't think any of us can compare to the trauma that I believe that the apostles... And all of them faced at uh, the process of the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, trauma can have an interesting effect on you. Um, it's it's kind of like when a thunderstorm comes through. And you have these storms that they build up and they come through and they knock the power out, right? And the power gets knocked out. And sometimes it could be for an hour, sometimes it could be for days. And what happens is that when the power comes back on, all of a sudden, all your digital clocks everywhere are flashing at the same time that power went out. And so, you know, you might be that person that lets it flash for a few days, or you're like me, it's like, no, we got to get all those clocks back, and, and they all have to be on the same number. But how many of you know there is a process of resetting the clock? People with trauma, you will find there is a space where it's not dealt with that even um, often you will come to them and their, the clock in their life has not yet been reset yet. And they're still flashing at the moment that the trauma hit, the power went out. I meet people that had a trauma at, at 13, and you find as you begin to dig in, all of a sudden there's like this 13-year-old that comes out of them, and they act like a kid. And you want to get annoyed, but you realize this is actually the process of going back to the clock and resetting it. And so trauma is something that it, 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 you can do your best to ignore it, but you have to face it. And um, these broken areas in our lives... The thing that we have to understand as believers is that they don't need to stay broken. Today is a day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's a day that we we focus our thoughts right on he is risen. But the reality is, is that when he raised from the dead, it said the same power that raised him raised you. And so the question is, is what areas have not been raised from the dead yet? And God's grace is beautiful. I love that last song that we were singing because it was singing about, oh, man, that bridge about the grace of God. Do you understand that the grace of God didn't come to just flip the power back on? The grace of God didn't come just to restore you where you used to be. The grace of God comes to restore you where he intended you to be. 
That's really important that we understand that, that his grace doesn't just come in and just put you back here. He wants to take you and put you where he wants you. His grace is phenomenal. And so I want you to open your Bibles again to John chapter 20, and I'm going to read, um, we're going to read some scripture here. Let's start, David read uh, the first portion of this, so let's, where it talks about that uh, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and um, the whole encounter. I love it when Jesus speaks Mary. There's something about when a father speaks a daughter's name. The identity in her just came out. Let's, though, let's jump into John chapter 20. Let me give you a little bit of context before we get in here too far. John was the only... John had a really unique relationship with the Lord. John's the one at the Last Supper that he's got his head laid on the chest of Jesus, right? He is the one that is just in love with the Lord. He is the one that, I mean, even in the scriptures, as you read it, I mean, talk about like, this would not go in today's culture, but Jesus would say the one whom he loved. I mean, He's constantly pointed to as this connection, the beloved apostle John. And John had this heart-to-heart connection with the Lord. And the interesting thing is, is John was the only one at the crucifixion. The rest of the disciples, they bailed. John and the three Marys, they were present at the crucifixion of Jesus. Here's John, the one, I don't know, there's something in that to me, the fact that the one that was most in love with Jesus would stay through the worst of times with Jesus. I want you to connect these two things. The one apostle that had such love in his heart towards Jesus was the one that said, I'm not going to bail at your worst. And so he, he, he's there, he's there for this, I mean, you want to talk about trauma, watching what he watched, and we'll get into that. I know I, I want to focus on the resurrection, but for me to paint the whole picture, I need to give some context for the crucif- crucifixion. And so we see that Jesus had come um, previously in this passage. It said that um, in verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Uh, you got to give it to Jesus. He loves to make a great appearance. He didn't knock. The doors were locked, and he's next thing you know, poof, he's standing there. Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That is a huge passage for you and I. That is a huge passage for you and I. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, which is interesting. They, keep, they refer to him as the twin often, but we don't know anything about his twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Stop there. I want you to begin to go through this process. 11 out of the 12 are there. How would you feel if 11 out of 12 of the apostles were there and Jesus came knowing Thomas wasn't there? He showed up to 11 out of 12 the one time Thomas wasn't there. I mean, I have a hard time knowing that something great happened at a service and I missed it. You know, I'm on vacation and people are like, it's amazing. And I'm like trying to keep my FOMO at bay because I'm like this, I want to be there. 
I mean, you're talking Thomas was not there when Jesus showed up to the other 11. Now, maybe you're really strong, but that would really challenge you. It would challenge me that all 12 of us have been following you, and the one day I wasn't there, you showed. Not only did he not show, we'll get to the part where he does show, but Jesus let him wrestle it out for eight days. He left him hanging for a week. He didn't know if he was going to show. And then we come into the next passage that says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and the place my finger in the mark of the nails, and the place my hand into the side, I will never believe. Now, this is where we, we give Thomas a hard rap over this, right? Well, this is where doubting Thomas came from. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We'll stop there for a second. We read this story and we, we, we paint a picture of Thomas that I don't think is fair. I think one of the things that we do and we're notorious with doing, you ever heard of those things called caricatures. Um, you ever been to a theme park and they say, sit down and I'm going to paint a picture of you? And what do they do? To make it fun, they accentuate certain things about you. They make your ears huge or they, they make your eyes huge or whatever it is. They, they paint this picture, but what makes it comical is they take a certain aspect of you and they exaggerate it, which is what I think we do all the time when we read our Bible. And we read this about Thomas, and we, we can easily exaggerate this situation. I don't think Jesus, I think, first of all, you have to understand, Jesus didn't come in. He was not coming in with a hard hand and a whip at Thomas. And we, we often just think of him as, well, he was the doubter, but let's really fall into this story for a moment because I want to bring you into the, the piece of just some of the trauma that they had gone through because these disciples had given everything to walk with this man. I mean, I, I, I certainly don't want to diminish anyone's pain in this room, but no matter what ex extent of church hurt you've ever been through, it will never hold a candle to what Jesus and what the apostles were feeling in this moment. They'd given it all. And here he is. Everything they thought was going to happen, they were just in pain. Jesus was their source of life. He was their source of comfort. He was their source of wisdom. You understand, they didn't have what you and I have right now. We have a... a a relationship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit, in a way where we always have access to this. When he walked into their life, life, wisdom, courage, safety, all of the things all of a sudden were present, and he was everything to them. 
and they would give it all to him. These disciples, this man, Thomas, they are the one that they, they had sold everything for. They were following is gone. They are hearing the stories. Although um, all of them were not there, you know just even by some of the responses that they know the stories of what happened at the crucifixion. Would you please just get in the story with me for a moment about Jesus? Because you under, we understand, but I don't think we fully understand the scene at the crucifixion. The prophet Isaiah, actually, he prophesied ahead of time in uh, Isaiah chapter Oh, did I write it down? And I think it was Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14. And it said that um, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. His form. This was a situation where if it was today and they didn't know who was hung on that cross, it would take dental records to recognize who this man was. There was no recognizing him visually. He was past that point. He was, he was innocent. He was, at the moment he came in, you understand, he was already in sleep deprivation. They drug him off to this, in this witch hunt in the middle of the night. He was innocent. They drug him off to a, a court. And how many understand there was no legal system at work here? Nothing they did in this system was legal. And they drug him off. I don't know about you, but if you have experienced an injustice in your life, you should read this and find comfort in knowing that he has experienced it too. The perfect one. It said that he was like a lamb led to a slaughter. No matter what injustice you've experienced. I'm not ever trying to tell you that it was right. I'm saying that you can find comfort in someone who's been through it. And here he is. He's, he's drug off. He's tired. He's, he's, his disciples, almost all of them, have run off and bailed on him. And he begins to be put through this process and we know the story. It said that his body was broken. It said in that passage in Isaiah, his face was unrecognizable. The back, the, the, the cat of nine tails that was used to whip him, his back was destroyed. It probably looked like a field that had been plowed. It was stripped of skin. I, I know some of this as much, but you need to hear it. The crown that was placed on his head probably was forced on, and it ripped the skin off into the bone. It was a gruesome situation. And these guys, they are, many of them, first of all, they're probably filled with guilt that they left him. Can you imagine having walked with a friend and then hearing all the stories coming out and you weren't there? You bailed. Can you imagine the reruns in your mind? I've seen some, some bad things before, but nothing compared to this, where the reruns of hearing the stories of what happened, I'm just reading you the account from the Bible, and I can see on some of your faces it's, it's messing with you. They watched it, and you know John shared it. This is what happened. And can you imagine laying there in bed, rerunning the stories through your head, the trauma that these folks were feeling? And here's this passage. I, I'm going somewhere. I really am. I'm going to give you hope. 
Because Jesus, the hope in this is that Jesus will come and find you in the middle of your trauma. He will come and he will find you. The, the, can I just tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, it's like, a, remember that show Mythbusters where they broke myths? I'm going to break down some myths this morning. Another bad myth is fake it till you make it. It just doesn't work. Fake it till you make it doesn't work. And that's what I think I, be, I love so much about Thomas is that Thomas was not faking it. I think he was the only one brave enough out of all of them to say what the rest of them were probably thinking. Because if you paid attention, when Jesus revealed himself to the other 11, he had no problem. He let them see the scars. He let them see the wounds. It was not an issue of their heart. Thomas was the only one that vocalized what he was feeling. And for that, I actually feel he's brave. I actually feel he's courageous. (laughs) Some of you are so confused right now. See it on your face. It's, it's, such a, it's such a misunderstanding because we discourage even often curiosity. And, but you have to understand that Jesus has made your mind in a way to think. Your questions don't intimidate Jesus. He is secure in himself. Your questions might intimidate other people. But your questions don't intimidate him. His love is strong. His love will not be shaken by the questions that you might have. And I think that we, we read these passages and we read about Thomas and, man, he was such a doubter. But the reality is, is, I don't know how many times we're probably in a room right now with this many people and so many of us have the same doubts, but we nod our head and we amen. Exactly. <laughs> I appreciate your response, though. <laughs> it was not a setup. It just happened. It was so perfect. Some of you are like, didn't get me. Didn't get me. <laughs> This, this idea of fake it till you make it, um, I, another way that we often can wrap it up and we can, we can make it is we try to make it look like faith. Well, don't address what you're feeling. Just speak the truth. Taking doubt and rewrapping it as a confession of faith doesn't work. I'm walking a fine line here this morning because I, I, I understand some of you, this is, this is rooted into you, and, and how are you, you've got a headache, and someone asks, how are you doing? I'm blessed in Jesus' name. No, you have a headache. You are blessed in Jesus' name, but you still have a headache, and you are healed. You can declare you're healed. That's okay. But see, this is what I liked about Thomas, and I think Jesus liked it about Thomas because he made a special appearance for Thomas. Many of us would say, well, where's your faith? But that's not what Jesus responded. You understand, Jesus could have taken approach, well, send this letter to Thomas. How dare you? How dare you not believe your brothers in Christ and your sisters who saw me? How dare you not have faith? How dare you doubt me? You've had your chance. You've made your bed. Sleep in it. That's your caricature of Jesus. It wasn't like that. 
He didn't have that approach with Thomas. I, I really want to challenge you on this today because we've been taught so much that, I, I, you understand, I don't want to feed off of negativity, but at the same time, I realize that often it's actually in the place of disbelief that God moves the greatest. I can take you through scripture after scripture after scripture, and something happens when the negativity faces, it's, it's like a battery. There's a negative and there's a positive, and some, when the positive connects with the negative, all of a sudden there's power. I'm not encouraging you to be negative, but what I am encouraging you is, is stop faking it and face the things, because God wants to breathe on you. And sometimes the greatest hindrance to your freedom might be that you are walking in a place where you feel like you can only speak positive things. I don't want my children to ever be scared of me to the point where they don't feel like they can share what they feel, even if it's negative. If my kids feel like blah, blah, whatever it is, hey, I want them to feel, I may not agree with it, but they can share it. Why? Because my love is stronger than that. And Jesus is not intimidated by your questions. He's not intimidated by your doubt. Your doubt, <laughs> your doubt in God's love doesn't change anything. God's love in us, God doesn't love us because of who we are. He loves us because of who he is. God's love for you isn't because of who you are. It's because of who he is. His love towards you I'm a, I guess I'll just go ahead and wreck you. His, his love towards you is not a reaction from a sinner's prayer you prayed. The only reason you prayed a sinner's prayer was because of his love towards you. Yeah. He loved you first. He's been loving you for a long time. And God's love is not an action towards you that leads to something. You can, you can, you can refuse God's love, but you can't stop God's love. I'm going to say that again. You can refuse his love, but you can't stop his love. His love is on towards you. And it was on towards Thomas. It was on full out. Like, Thomas, I don't really care what you feel. I love you. And this changes the way we do things. What's my point? I think if we would lower our religious shields long enough to be honest, we would find that most of us are not all that different than Thomas. This is it's coming out heavier than I thought it would. <laughs> oh, let's get to the happy parts. Jesus, I mean, Jesus is really good at putting us in positions to reveal our heart. Mike Bickle said one time, he'll offend your mind to reveal your heart. He loves to leave you in a space to... Re here, here, here's what I'm, I guess, the root of what I'm getting at. So often Jesus is trying to actually bring things to the surface, and we've been indoctrinated with ways to push them back down. And he's trying to say, get it up, get it up, get it up. And we're saying all these different things, and we're pushing it back down in Jesus' name. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm flushing this out of you. You know, the best point you'll ever get to is when you, can, you no longer have the ability to push it down because you're right there. 
and it is probably the meanest you'll ever be. So have mercy on your family and friends because that's when they get nasty because they're like a cat cornered. Just like Thomas. Well, that's good for you. I mean, that was sassy. He was like, that's good for you, 11. I'll need to see that. And God didn't just show up. Eight days go by of Thomas thinking he showed up to the other at 11. Why would he do it when I wasn't there? All those thoughts are running through the head. Offense, bitterness, everything is coming up to the surface. The surface. And how does Jesus respond to Thomas's doubt? He makes a personal appearance to Thomas. This says so much to me about Jesus that he came to Thomas. And he showed up to Thomas. We need to see the love of God through this filter. That he will find you in the middle of your pain. He will find you in your trauma. He will find you. For you to first really understand what Jesus says to Thomas, you really have to understand who Jesus is. Unconditional love is getting ready to ambush Thomas. <laughs> Jesus' relationship with these disciples should really give you hope. <laughs> because between the 12, most of us are pretty close to one of them. <laughs> There's a lot of Peters. Ready to fight. Big mouth. Always saying something. And Jesus still loved Peter. Unconditional love kept coming back at Peter. Peter's the one that was, as I, I, Jesus was preaching to the crowds and, and along the way makes the reference to, you, you there, you'll have to eat my flesh, drink my blood. Does not say, listen, I'm going to share something with you that's metaphorical, so before I lose you, like so many preachers would. He just says, here's the deal. You're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And all we know is by the end of the story, the disciples are left. And they're scratching their heads saying, this just took a weird turn. <laughs> I mean, you understand? we get it. I mean, you're, you're, you're at your leadership meeting, and the leader all of a sudden says, you're going to have to eat me. <laughs> and they're thinking, this is where Peter's big mouth comes in handy. <laughs> Peter was the only one that spoke up. You know, the other ones were like, this is hard, I think, you know. But Peter says, all right, here's all I know is that your words are life. Where else would we go? There are times when you get put in positions where, and I think Bill talked about this some last week, where you just have to rely on the reality of his words are life. There are times where you're in so much pain trying to figure something out where you have to anchor in the fact that his words are life. Even when he's speaking to you and you're saying, I don't get it, but it's still life. And these guys, they, they were not perfect. 
But he had encountered, and by the way, it's not really written in the Bible per se, but if you do a study on the life of Thomas, you should know that the apostle Thomas took, took the Bible, took the, um, took the word of God, took Christianity further than any other apostle. And we call him, all we remember him is doubting Thomas. When he was the one that took Christianity further to the southern parts of India than any other apostle. I think God and Jesus didn't have an issue with what Thomas was feeling. He loved him enough to show up in the middle of it and help him through it. It didn't come in just to spank him. He came in to say, oh, and even the way, please hear me, even the way you can say something. Some of us read the scripture, and we read it through the filter of, well, blessed are those who believe without seeing Thomas. <laughs> That's your caricature of God. I don't think that matches the Jesus that I've seen. That said, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. I'm, I'm sharing my view. You take it or leave it. But Thomas, blessed are those who believe without seeing. But go ahead and touch my side. You know, there's, there's, there's so much in this. Jesus. The feelings that he's been feeling suffocated with, doubt, Hurt, pain, pictures in his head, all of that is being washed away. Jesus said, I'll come to you. God loves to wait until your doubt comes to the surface. We see it through the Bible. We see it with Sarah and Abraham. Remember that story? You want to talk about doubt. The Bible said that Abram at that point, before he was Abraham, when God promised him a son, he laughed so hard, he fell on the floor. Now, I've prophesied some things to people they thought was funny. Never have I had someone lose control and fall on the floor because it was so ridiculous to them. By the way, this is the man that, like, this covenant is going to come through and bless the whole earth at that point in time. Did he sound filled with faith at that moment? But here's Abraham where we read it's credited to him for righteousness. At the same time, he's the one that when the Lord invited him into it, he laughed. Sarah thought, you're crazy. I'm getting a little old. God loves to let it get to the point. Why? God let it stew. I don't understand why, but he let it stew till they came to a point where it became so ridiculous that all of the things came up to the surface, and then all of a sudden they changed their names because they needed to let their identity become the promise. Abram had to go to Abraham. Sarai had to go to Sarah. They had to become the promise. 
And you can walk through passage after passage after passage of people where God would wait until they got to the point. They were in complete disbelief. I think that we've made it so unattainable. We've made these people look so different than us when the reality is, is we face the same stuff Thomas is facing and doubt is there. And, and, we, and we don't want to confess it because we don't want anyone to know we doubt. And God's saying, it's okay. It's really okay. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. But the longer you keep faking it until you make it, you're actually never going to make it. You're just stuck faking it. And you fake it and you fake it until there comes this point where I've had these moments where it's like, God, I'm, you know, you're just like, I don't know what else to do. I don't even know if I believe this anymore. We see it with John. We saw it with, um, with the, uh, John the Baptist. We saw that he was the one that baptized Jesus. David was talking about this earlier. He was the one that, the same thing, he saw him from afar. He saw Jesus coming, and behold, the Lamb of God, he baptizes him. Big moment, probably not going to forget, but here we are. Fast forward down the road. He's sitting in a prison cell, and he's so hurt. He's so filled with trauma that he says this. He says, just go ask. He sends his disciples and says, go ask him if he's the one. It's amazing what pain and trauma can do. It can rob you from your revelation. But often it's right there. I, I can't explain it. I don't want you to go away feeling like you want to look for doubt. But my point is don't be afraid to embrace where you're at to receive what he has for you. It's the reality of embracing that this is where I am. I love when people are honest with me and tell me that. It's not always the funnest to walk through it. Boy, I'm just not there right now. And that's okay. You are no less spiritual than me. You are no less loved than me. You find hope in this? Jesus came. He made the additional appearance just for Thomas. So much we can learn. Even with the accounts of how Jesus, if you just read through the last few chapters of John and maybe some of the other books where they, you know, even John. Here's John, the beloved, you know, he's the beloved. He's, he's the one that just has such a love for the Lord. He's the one that laid his head on the chest of Jesus at the last meal. He's the one that's just... He sat there and he watched it. I mean, I can't imagine sitting and watching what John watched or standing just to see what he saw. But you know, the interesting thing about John is that John was the one that they say he waited anywhere up to about 40 years before he wrote his gospel. The others, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, wrote them a lot quicker. John waited, and you know the interesting thing about John is he's the only one of the four Gospels that doesn't have the account of Jesus ascending at the end of the book. Why? I genuinely believe, this is just my belief, I believe he had such an awareness that he never left. Why put it in there? He was so aware of the presence. After 40 years of walking this thing, after 40 years of they've received the Holy Spirit, after 40 or however many years it was, he was the one that 
knew the presence of the Lord was still there. Why? Because he was the one with his head on his chest. He was the one that knew his presence. What do I mean? And I, I talked about this at a growth track, and I don't, I'm not going to go into it at great length, but we use this word presence all the time. We use it in church. You know, we just believe in his presence. We're church's presence. What does that mean? The word presence, the most interpreted, um, the, the best definition of the word presence we have is they used it, and they, uh, in the Old Testament, it referred to the face of God. The face of God. So what is the presence? What are we talking about where I just want to be in his presence? It's his face, but let's break that down. What's his face? It's his eyes. I want to see what he sees. When you come into the presence, isn't it true that all of a sudden you begin to see things differently? You come in and you had an argument on the way to church and you get into worship and you get in the presence and all of a sudden you see differently. You come to church or, or wherever it is, you, you get in prayer and you get into his presence and that face, what is it? You begin to speak things, he speaks. You are negative. You ever notice how whenever you get negative, you start talking to yourself? I learned that a while ago and it really challenged me that the only time I talk to myself out loud is when I'm irritated and negative. I rarely catch myself being like, great job, John, you're doing so well, and just walking around. I caught myself doing it. I caught my, not doing that, but I was just walking around, patting myself on the back. Um, no, I was, I was, something happened, and something happened yesterday, and I was walking up, and I was frustrated. I was walking from one of my buildings to the house, and I started talking out loud. I'm like, I just, and as soon as I said it, I was like, I am just talking. The only time I talk out loud to myself is when I'm upset and I'm agreeing with the words of the enemy. The other version is called prayer. When we begin to come and agree with what God is saying. And we begin to speak these things, and we, we can begin to get, and I, I know I'm getting off track, and I'm going to wrap it up. I'm actually going to end early. But we begin to operate from a place where it was always his intention for us, this place of the presence. What, again, what's he saying? If you would, it's that, it's that in, in Psalms, by the way, that's what I'll do. I'll end in, I know where I'll end. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I was like, where am I going to land? <laughs> um, we begin to, we get in the presence, and we begin to speak what he has to say. If, if you want to get a better control of your mouth, get in the presence of God more. <laughs> One person. Thank you for being honest. Was that Shay? Or, I don't know. It felt so good. Um, uh, in his presence, we, I just, I think we hear what he hears. We hear him. This is what we mean, the presence. The presence is not some, there's manifestations of it that are physical, but it's not some floaty cloud. I mean, if that wants to show up, great. But what does the presence mean? It means coming into a place with the face of the Father. And you begin to see, hear, talk, think the way he thinks. And you leave different. There's this interesting scripture in Psalms. 
that we often hear Jesus' words on the cross where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we, we create a whole teaching around how, you know, the Father forsook the Son. And uh, I'm not going to try to teach this, as, but there's a psalm. Often they would refer to the first line of a psalm. And when Jesus made the remark on the cross, my Father, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was referring to a psalm. But if you don't read the whole psalm, you don't understand what he was saying. You just think, that's the kind of father he is. That when I'm in my worst, he forsakes me. But I want you to open your Bibles. Let's just read this at the end. This would be a powerful way to end it. It's Psalms 22. Now, this, this passage always blows my mind. This is, this is David, some prophetically writing about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if you've never written it, if you've never read it through that lens, it's going to have to blow your mind. Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and your fathers and you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by his people. Sound familiar? What Jesus was going through on the cross. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. This is so powerful. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Think about the things they were saying at Jesus on the cross. I am poured out like water. Isn't that exactly what the scripture says at the crucifixion of Jesus? And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. Remember when Jesus asked for a drink. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will, tell, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. 
and you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All of you offspring of Israel. Here it is. For he has not despised the affliction or the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he's heard him. You hear the difference of the way that you started that scripture of how you thought of Jesus on the cross? It's why have you forsaken me? And that's all. Read the rest of the story. You've not hidden your face from me. You heard me when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. I'm just going to read it to the end. There's only a couple more passages. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him. Uh, before him shall bow, and all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. <laughs> they shall come up and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. <laughs> He's done it. It's done. But there are times where it does not feel done. It doesn't change that it is done. But it may not feel that way. Hiding it and suppressing it does not help. I want to challenge you to lean into the Lord. When there are areas, I, I, I find hope, as I said, in Thomas. That he was brave and courageous enough to really share what probably everyone else was thinking. And the Lord said, oh, I'll come straight to you. It took you eight days to get there, but I'll come to you. I'll come straight and visit. I'm here because one of my apostles, you missed it. He won't leave one out. So I want to encourage some of you this morning. The resurrection of Jesus is so powerful. You understand? I've, I've, I know I've focused a lot on the trauma that they've been through. The death of Jesus reconciled you to God, but it was that he raised from the dead that you can have life. The idea that I'm saved doesn't come through the death, it comes through the life. Reconciled came through his death. If you have a child in a house that's on fire and you run into that house and you grab your child, you've been reconciled to that child. You're with them. We're together. But you got to bring them out. And when Jesus came out of that grave, he took everybody out and into life. And it was him raising from the dead. It was that stone being rolled away, which, by the way, was not for him to get out. It was for you to get in. It was when that was rolled away and he rose that you get to. And now, there's no area that needs to be hopeless. And if you feel doubt, let him meet you right there. This trauma piece is important because you can go two ways with this. 
you can either go from away from the Lord or you can go to the Lord. And I'm not going to get into the details. Bill pretty much hit it last week. But this whole thing on deconstruction is taking pain and trauma and turning away from the Lord, opposed to still taking it and focusing to the Lord. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you, you can stay seated for just a moment. I'm going to pray over you. And I'm just going to welcome the Holy Spirit to come in because I felt like this, felt like there's a number of people in here I could prophetically see when I, when I used the, the metaphor of the clock that was flashing. I saw a lot of you like numbers flashing over your head of trauma that's not yet been reset. And it's still flashing. Some clocks just don't start back up until you reset them. Now, there's no way we can with our, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to help us with this because I know that we won't be able to dig deep into things, but I believe just like Thomas, he will meet you. So Holy Spirit, I just ask right now, um, Rachel, if you have any worship just to put on real quick, just let that soak in the atmosphere. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now that you would come and highlight the areas that some of you don't even need them highlighted. You're very aware of what they are. And the clock is, is flashing. <laughs> but Lord, would you give us the courage, the bravery in that moment just to speak straight with you of what we feel. Can I just tell you something? You're not going to hurt God's feelings. He's, his love is stronger than that. Father, I thank you that on this day as we celebrate your resurrection, that you are literally combing through this room looking for things that you can raise from the dead. (laughs) And Father, we just, we lay those areas out before you. And we ask that you'd come. We ask that you'd come in the same tender, gentle way that you came to Thomas and said, you shouldn't have to see to believe. You should believe and see. But Thomas, go ahead and touch my side. Because there's life there. I encourage you right now to push through some of the mental process that may be the mental exercises that you do to try to convince yourself that you don't have a problem. (laughs) And just with the Lord right now, just you and Jesus, be honest with him. And let him come and bring life. Let him come in like he did in that room with Thomas and take that suffocating doubt and breathe life into Thomas. I ask that right now he would breathe life into you. He breathed on him and said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
hope. He's not forsaking you. <laughs> it might feel that way. He hasn't. He is right there. Lord, would you give us the courage, the bravery to um, explore some of these areas that we may need to explore and to walk forward with you and seeing healing released and restoration released in Jesus' name. We just declare life over everyone in this room. I, I can, uh, yeah, um, I just, I feel that. I even feel like there, um, I don't normally call this out, but I do feel like there might even be people that have been suicidal. I feel it in my spirit, and I just declare over you life, and you are loved. You can't stop his love towards you. Let him love you. If that's you, feel the freedom to come up, and any of our team would love to pray with you and just release life over you. Because nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is too hard for him. This is exactly what I felt like it was going to feel at the end, because some of you are not feeling filled with, like, I'm going to take this mountain. You're feeling your feelings. And it's going to be a process of you finding him in this place. And he will meet you there. It may, take a, it may take a little time. Thomas had to press in, but he showed up. <laughs> I ask that every area, I just feel to stay here one more moment. Um, those of you, areas of trauma from high school. I feel that in the room right now. Areas that you have traumatic experiences that happened to you in high school that have really stuck with you. He's healing that. And he's coming to you today and he's saying, I, I'm bringing faith to you. I'm bringing faith to you. I'm bringing hope to you. Yeah. So receive that. Those with abusive parents, he's coming to you and he's saying, I'm coming right where you're at. It doesn't matter if you're older and it happened when you were young or it's happening. He's coming to you. He's coming to you right now in Jesus' name. Let's stand up. I'm going to ask my prayer team to come up now. Um, hopefully we have prayer team this morning. Yay. Well, you're on, you got this? <laughs> okay. Um, we'll bring up more people to pray I don't want people to feel like they can't get prayer so we may not have anyone else here but our team will come pray we'll get it, we'll pray for you Lord we love you would you fill us with hope would you fill us with hope and God as we, as we go on today God would we just be just absolute um people who impart life everywhere we go, that we become known as the people that just impart life. <laughs> Today is a day of celebration. You overcame death in the grave. It is done. It's all done. And we celebrate in the fact of knowing that you are seated at the right hand of your Father, and we're seated right there with you. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Listen, have a wonderful day. Bless a couple people around you. And if you need prayer, we'll pray with you this morning.
You've been listening to the Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message or sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us.